Chapter 15 of Langstroth on the Hive and the Honeybee. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adam Marcetich, August 2009, Alexandria, Virginia. Langstroth on the Hive and the Honeybee by L. L. Langstroth. Chapter 15. Directions for Feeding Bees. Part 2. Continued from Part 1. Feeding, to make a profit by selling the honey stored up by the bees. For many years, apiarians have attempted to make the feeding of bees on a large scale profitable to their owners. All such attempts, however, must, from the very nature of the case, meet with very limited success. If large quantities of cheap West India honey are fed to the bees in the fall, they are induced to fill their hives to such an extent that in the spring the queen does not find the necessary accommodations for breeding. If they are largely fed in the spring, the case is still worse. See page 320. It must therefore be obvious that the feeding of cheap honey can only be made profitable where it serves as a substitute for an equal quantity of choice honey taken from the bees. In the latter part of summer, the apiarian may take away from the main hive some of the combs which contain the best honey, and replace them with combs into which he has poured the cheaper article, or, if he has no spare combs on hand, he may slice off the covers of the cells, drain out the honey, fill the empty combs with West India honey, and return them to the bees, giving them at the same time the additional food which they need to elaborate wax to seal them over. If he attempts to take away their full combs, and gives them honey in order to enable them, first to replace their combs, and then to fill them, the operation, see page 326, will result in a loss, instead of a gain. I am aware that, for a number of years, persons have attempted to derive a profit from supplying the markets of some of our large cities with an article professing to be the best of honey, but which is nothing more than the cheap West India honey fed to the bees and stored up by them in new comb. In the city of Philadelphia, large quantities of such honey have been sold at the highest prices and perhaps at some profit to the persons who have fed it to their bees. Within the last two years, however, the article has become so well known that it can hardly be sold at any price, as those who purchase honey, instead of paying 25 cents per pound for West India honey in the comb, much prefer to buy it, if they want it at all, for 6 or 7 cents in a liquid state. It must be perfectly obvious that to sell a cheap and ill-flavored article at a high price, under the pretense that it is a superior article, is nothing less than downright cheating. I am perfectly well aware that many persons imagine that if anything sweet is fed to bees, they will quickly transmute it into the purest nectar. There is, however, no more truth in such a conceit than there would be in that of a man 
who supposed that he had found the veritable philosopher's stone, and that he was able to change all our copper and silver coins into the purest gold. Bees, to be sure, can make white and beautiful comb from almost any kind of sweet. And why? Because wax is a natural secretion of the bee, see page 76, and can be made from any sweet, just as fat can be put upon the ribs of an ox by any kind of nourishing food. But, some of my readers may ask, do you mean to assert that bees do not secrete honey out of the raw material which they gather, or which is furnished to them, just as cows secrete milk from grass and hay? I certainly do mean to assert that they can do nothing of the kind, and no intelligent man who has carefully studied their habits will for a moment venture to affirm that they can, unless for the sake of filthy lucre he is attempting to deceive an unwary community. What beekeeper does not know, or rather ought not to know, that the quality of honey depends entirely upon the sources from whence it is gathered, and that the different kinds of honey can easily be distinguished by anyone who is a judge of the article. Apple blossom honey, white clover honey, buckwheat honey, and all the different kinds of honey, each has its own peculiar flavor, and it is utterly amazing how any sensible man, acquainted with bees, can be so deluded as to imagine anything to the contrary. But as this is a matter of great practical importance, let us examine it more closely. When bees are engaged in rapidly storing up honey in their combs, they may be seen, as soon as they return from the fields, or from the feeding boxes, putting their heads at once into the cells, and disgorging the contents of their honey bags. Now that the contents of the sacks undergo no change at all, during the short time that they remain in them, I will not absolutely affirm, because I have endeavored, through this whole treatise, never to assert positively when I have not positive evidence for so doing, but that they can undergo but a very slight change must be evident from the fact that when thus stored up, the different kinds of honey or sugar can be almost, if not quite as readily, distinguished as before they were fed to the bees. The only perceptible change which they appear to undergo in the cells is to have the large quantity of water evaporated from them, which is added from thoughtlessness or from the vain expectation that it will be just so much water sold for honey to the defrauded purchaser. This evaporation of the water from the honey by the heat of the hive is about the only marked change that it appears to undergo from its natural state in the nectaries of the blossoms, and it is exceedingly interesting to see how unwilling bees are to seal up honey until it is reduced to such a consistency that there is no danger of its souring in the cells. They are as careful as to the quality of their nectar, as the good lady of the house is to have the syrup of her preserves boiled down to a suitable thickness to keep them sweet. Let all who for any purpose whatever feed bees, keep this fact in mind, 
and never add to the food which they give them more water than is absolutely necessary. To do so is a piece of as great stupidity as to pour a barrel of water into the sugar pans for every barrel of sap from the maples or juice from the canes. If a strong colony is set upon a platform scale, it will be found on a pleasant day, during the height of the honey harvest, to gain a number of pounds. If examined again, early next morning, it will be found to have lost considerably during the night. This is owing to the evaporation of the water from the freshly gathered honey, and it may often be seen running down in quite a stream from the bottom board. Those who feed cheap honey to sell it in the market at a high advance over its first cost are either deceivers or deceived. If any of my readers have been deceived by the plausible representations of ignorant or unprincipled men, I trust they will be able, from these remarks, to see exactly how they have been deceived, and they will no longer persist in an adulteration the profits of which can never be great, and the morality of which can never be defended. A man who offers for sale inferior honey, or sugar which he calls honey, and which he is able to sell because it is stored in white comb, to those who would never purchase it if they knew what it was, or once had a taste of it, is not a whit more honest, if he understands the nature of the article in which he deals than a person engaged in counterfeiting the current coin of the realm. For poor honey and white comb is no less a fraud than eagles or dollars, golden to be sure, on their honest exteriors, but containing a baser metal within. The golden age of beekeeping, in which inferior honey can be quickly transmuted into such balmy spoils as are gathered by the bees of Hybla, has not yet dawned upon us, or at least only in the fairy visions of the poet who saw, quote, a golden hive on a golden bank, where golden bees, by alchemical prank, gathered gold instead of honey, End quote. If a pound of West India honey costs about six cents, and the bees use, as they will, about one pound to make a comb, in which it is stored, it costs the producer at least twelve cents a pound, and if to this he adds, say, five cents more, for extra time and labor in feeding, then his inferior honey costs him at least as much as the market price of the very best honey on the spot where it is produced. If the beekeeper allows his bees to make what they will, from the blossoms, and then begins to feed, after he has harvested the produce from the natural supplies, the advance over the first cost will hardly pay for the trouble, even if it were fair to palm off such inferior honey as a first-rate article. If, however, bees are fed on this food very largely in the latter part of summer, they will fill up their hive with it before they put it into the spare honey boxes, and the production of brood, will often be most seriously interfered with at a season of the year when it is important to have the hives well stocked with bees. 
that they may winter to the best advantage. If apiarians are anxious to have large quantities of choice honey, let them manage their bees so as to have powerful stocks in the early spring, and they will then be able to have heavy purses and light consciences into the bargain. I shall now show how liquid honey, exceedingly beautiful to the eye and tempting to the taste, may be made to great advantage. Dissolve two pounds of the purest white sugar in as much hot water as will be just necessary to reduce it to a syrup. Take one pound of the nicest white clover honey, any other light-colored honey of good flavor will answer, and, after warming it, add it to the sugar syrup and stir the contents. When cool, this compound will be pronounced, even by the best judges of honey, to be one of the most luscious articles which they ever tasted and will be, by almost every one, preferred to the unmixed honey. Refined loaf sugar is a perfectly pure and inodorous sweet, and one pound of honey will communicate the honey flavor, in high perfection, to twice that quantity of sugar, while the new article will be destitute of that smarting taste which honey alone so often has, and will be often found to agree perfectly with those who cannot eat the clear honey with impunity. If those engaged in the artificial manufacture of honey never brought anything worse than this to the market, the purchasers would have no reason to complain. As, however, the compound can be furnished much cheaper than the pure honey, many may prefer to purchase the materials and mix them themselves. If desired, any kind of flavor may be given to the manufactured article. Thus it may be made to resemble, in fragrance, the classic honey of Mount Hymettus, by adding to it the fine aroma of the lemon balm, or wild thyme, or it may have the flavor of the orange groves, or the delicate fragrance of beds of roses washed with dew. I have recently ascertained that if two pounds of the best refined sugar be added to one of common maple sugar, the compound will be a light-colored article, retaining perfectly the maple taste, and yet far superior to the common maple sugar. After making this discovery, I learned that a large part of the very nicest maple sugar is made in this way. Attempts have been made to feed to bees, to be stored in the honey boxes, a mixture of the whitest honey and loaf sugar. But the result shows a loss rather than a gain. The mixture, before it is fed, will cost about ten cents per pound. At the very furthest, not more than one half of what is fed can be secured in the comb, for it requires about one pound of honey to manufacture comb enough to hold a pound of honey. The actual cost of the honey in the comb will therefore be at least 20 cents per pound, and the pure white clover honey can be bought for less than that. Those who desire to have something exceedingly beautiful to the eye and delicate to the taste, at a season when the bees are not storing up honey from the blossoms, and in situations where the natural supply is of an inferior quality, if they do not regard expense, 
can place upon their tables something which will be pronounced by the best judges a little superior to anything they ever tasted before i have repeatedly spoken of the great care which is necessary to prevent bees from getting a taste of forbidden sweets so as to be tempted to engage in dishonest courses the experienced apiarian will fully appreciate the necessity of these cautions and the inexperienced if they neglect them will be taught a lesson that they will not soon forget let it be remembered that the bee was intended to gather its sweets from the nectaries of flowers to use the exquisitely beautiful language of him whose wonderful writings supply us on almost every subject with the richest thoughts and happiest illustrations they were created to quote, make boot upon the summer's velvet buds which pillage they with merry march bring home to the tent royal of their emperor who busied in his majesty surveys the singing masons building roofs of gold End quote. shakespeare when thus engaged the bees work in perfect accordance with their natural instincts and seem to have little or no disposition to meddle with property that does not belong to them if however their incautious owner tempts them with liquid food especially at times when they can obtain nothing from the blossoms they seem to be so infatuated with such easy gatherings as to lose all discretion and they will perish by thousands if the vessels which contain the food are not furnished with floats on which they can stand and help themselves in safety the fly was intended to feed not upon the blossoms but upon food in which without care it could easily be drowned and hence it alights most cautiously on the edge of any vessel containing liquid food and warily helps itself while the poor bee without any caution plunges right in and speedily perishes the sad fate of their unfortunate companions does not in the least deter others who approach the tempting lure but they madly alight on the bodies of the dying and the dead to share the same miserable end no one can understand the full extent of their infatuation until after seeing a confectioner's shop assailed by thousands and tens of thousands of hungry bees i have seen thousands strained right out from the syrups in which they had perished thousands more alighting even upon the boiling sweets the floors covered and windows darkened with bees some crawling others flying and others still so completely daubed as to be able neither to crawl nor fly not one bee in ten able to carry home its ill-gotten spoils and yet the air filled with new hosts of thoughtless comers it will be for the interest of all engaged in the manufacture of candy and syrups to fit gauze wire windows and doors to their premises and thus save themselves from constant loss and annoyance for if only one bee in a hundred escapes with his load the confectioner will be subjected in the course of the season to serious loss 
I once furnished such an establishment, after the bees had commenced their depredations, with such protection, and when they found themselves excluded, they lit on the wire by thousands, and fairly squealed with vexation and disappointment as they tried to force a passage through the meshes. At last they were daring enough to descend the chimney, reeking with sweet odors, even although the most who attempted it fell with scorched wings into the fire. It became necessary to put wire gauze over the top of the chimney also. How often, as I have seen thousands of bees in such places destroyed, and thousands more deprived of all ability to fly, and hopelessly struggling in the deluding sweets, and yet thousands more blindly hovering over them, all unmindful of their danger, and apparently eager to share the same destruction. How often has the spectacle of their infatuation seemed to me to be an exact picture of the woeful delusion of those who surrender themselves to the fatal influences of the intoxicating cup. Even although they see the miserable victims of this degrading vice falling all around them into premature and dishonored graves, they still press on, madly trampling as it were, over the dead and dying bodies, that they too may sink into the same abyss of agonies, and that their sun may also go down in darkness and hopeless gloom. Even although they know that the next cup may send them, with all their sins upon their heads, to the dread tribunal of their God, that cup of bitter sorrows and untold degradation, they will drain even to its most loathsome dregs. The avaricious bee that despise the slow process of extracting nectar from every opening flower, and plunge recklessly into the tempting sweets, has ample time to bewail its folly. Even if it has not paid the forfeit of its life, but has been able to obtain its fill, it returns home with all its beautiful plumage sullied and besmeared, and with a woe-begone look and sorrowful note, in marked contrast with the bright hues and merry sounds with which the industrious bee returns from its happy rovings amid the budding honey-flowers and sweetly breathing fields. Just so has many a pilgrim from the golden shores of California and Australia returned, enfeebled in body and mind, bankrupt often in character and happiness, if not in purse, and unfitted in every way for the calm and sober pursuits of common industry, while thousands, yes, and tens of thousands too, shall never more behold their once happy homes, Bibles and Sabbaths, altars and firesides, parents and friends, wife and children, how often have all these been wantonly abandoned in the accursed greed for gain, by those who might have been happy and prosperous at home, and who wandered from its sacred precincts only because they were determined to make the possession of wealth the chief object of life, but whose bones now lie amid the coral reefs of the ocean, or moulder in the howling wastes of the overland passage, 
just as the bones of unbelieving Israelites whitened the sands of the desert. Of those who have reached the land of golden promise, how many have died in despair, or worse still, are living so besotted by vice, so lost to all power of virtuous resolutions, that they shall never more see the happy homes from which they so thoughtlessly wandered, never more hear the soft accents of loving friends, never more worship God in peaceful sanctuary, or ever again behold an open Bible. Quote, gold, 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 bright and yellow, hard and cold, molten, graven, hammered and rolled, heavy to get and light to hold, hoarded, bartered, bought and sold, stolen, borrowed, squandered, doled, spurned by the young, but hugged by the old, to the very verge of churchyard mold, price of many a crime untold, gold, 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 good or bad a thousandfold, how widely its agencies vary, to save, to ruin, to curse, to bless, and even its minted coins express, now stamped with the image of good Queen Bess, and now of a bloody Mary. End quote. Hood End of chapter 15